How are you doing, Rich? Doing all right. I have a uh, Halloween today, you know, so uh, got a little dinosaur costume over there that I'm going to be uh, riding the dinosaur today. It's going to be great. Is it like one of those big blow up, like the T-Rex ones that you see? Yeah, but instead of me being the T-Rex, it actually stops at your waist and like you just step into it like pants, but like the pants are the legs. And so like as you're walking, it's like the dinosaur is walking and like the head is ahead of you like that. Just kind of for those that uh, don't watch this, just listen to this, just, uh, you know, maybe watch us on the YouTube and you can see me acting like a inflatable dinosaur. Yeah. Are your kids going to be dinosaur related? Not at all. Uh, they just like the <laughs> no. idea. My uh, little girl's going to be uh, Bitsy Boots from uh, Super Kitties. And uh, she's already worn the costume a couple of times. And then my little boy just got one of those little, like he's not really into stuff on his head and everything like that. So we just got him Chase from Paw Patrol. Man, I kind of wish I could still trick or treat. I want some candy. Just find a friend who has kids that you may think, <laughs> oh, but they want this experience. Honestly, probably not. Like if you offered, it'd be like, yes, here's my cutest kid. Get some candy for us. And that's the way it would go. Yeah. Usually I just eat the stuff that I buy for the trick-or-treaters, but this year I'm not going to be able to give out candies. So I don't have any. <laughs> yeah. That's a bummer. But you know, the day after though, the day after sales on the candy, that's where that's it's a at. Good point. So before we hop into this interview, I just wanted to chat a little bit about, this was really good, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Rachel Provan, she says like a professional van driver is what she told us. And yeah, she's amazing. She's a really good handle on what needs to be done in customer success, right? And I think a lot of times, you know, those of us who are in customer ed, right? And I'm kind of straddled the fence between the two, right? Those of us in customer ed can just be like, oh, well, I just gave customer success everything they need. And it's like, no, that's not quite the way it goes. But like learning kind of how this stuff that we create becomes a useful tool in the hands of a good CS person, I think is pretty powerful. And I think we talked a bit about that here. And so it's almost counterintuitive, right? It's like, you know, we, people think that we should say that, oh, make this video and everything will be better. But that's not the way it goes. You know, and I think knowing exactly what you can get out of making video, making great video is pretty powerful. So, yeah, I liked it. It was a good time. Yeah, I especially loved how much she was talking about overcoming those obstacles of integrating new technologies and things and the ways that we're able to do that. I feel like there were several points at which you might as well have been taking notes because <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, I almost did. But then I tried to start typing and I have one of these uh, mechanical keyboards and so i was like clackety clack clack and i'm like oh man that's gonna be heard so i had to stop well luckily you'll have the transcript of this so <laughs> you'll go. have the notes <laughs> awesome all right well without further ado let's hop into the interview welcome to this episode of video voyagers edge of ai i'm audrey and i'm rich our guest today is rachel provan the founder and CEO of Provan Success. As a customer success leader and influencer, Rachel brings over 16 years of expertise in steering customer success leadership. At Provan Success, she wears multiple hats, including coach, consultant, and mentor, guiding new customer success leaders in carving out successful strategies, enhancing productivity, and cultivating executive presence. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. We've had you on the schedule for a while. I've been looking forward today, which is actually Halloween that we're recording this on. So. 
Yes, quite spooky. Yeah. (laughs) So I usually like to kick off our questions with this hot take question. And so that question is, is AI going to take all of our jobs? No. I mean, it's going to change all of our jobs, but I don't think we're all going to be just like out on the street selling muffins or something. It's going to enable us to do things that we weren't able to do before. It's going to enable us to focus on the things that actually need humans, the parts that I'm really interested in, the parts that require empathy, that require being good with others, the parts that require messaging. I think that a lot of the day-to-day annoying admin work might be taken by AI, but I mean, that's fine by me. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to miss that. (laughs) No. I will. I'll miss it a lot. Like I really enjoy just oh, yeah. you know, tedious data work. entry. It's great. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Drafting emails, you know, the best. The best. Yes. So generative AI for video and text content. You talked about emails, right? How do you see that evolving in the customer success and like customer experience space over the next few years? I'll preface this by saying that I think that anyone who thinks they know how this is going to turn out has a whole lot of hubris. Like I certainly wouldn't have predicted that my AOL chat that I did like in high school was going to turn into like the entire internet on my phone in the palm of my hand. Like I hadn't even thought of a cell phone yet. So (laughs) what I'm hoping it will turn into is being something that can be used to calculate customer health better. I've seen People use it for like data intelligence on like customer intelligence, spotting patterns and things like that, combining that with like natural language processing and using that to figure out like, all right, which parts do they like? How do we aggregate that all together to really quantify the voice of the customer a little bit more easily? And so that it's not just hearsay being able to turn that qualitative data into quantitative data for those people in the C-suite who need to see a chart to really understand the impact of what we're talking about. I think that'll make us a lot more effective. And I am really, I think, in a very different way than AI. So whenever I try to use it, it's so counter to how I think. I think it's going to enable people who aren't very creative to be much more creative. And I think it's going to frustrate creative people Because for me, every time I try and use it to write or anything like that, like this is taking me longer to engineer this than it would have to write it. And what I write is better. And part of that's a learning curve on my part, but I really enjoy that process. So makes sense. I find that I've gotten a little bit more selective about what I use those technologies for when it comes to things like writing, because there's certain things that I'm never going to use ChatGPT for like the more creative stuff. I'm like, you can't do it. Like, I'm sorry. You just can't. So I'll stick with that. And then ChatGPT can write some of the more boring stuff. <laughs> yeah. But even when my assistant coach who works with me, she'll sometimes use ChatGPT to generate things for like my courses, just descriptions. I'm like, whoa, we're going to have to tone this down a little bit because it's a little... I don't know, a little nerdy and over the top in how it talks. It's like a little cheesy and I am all about the cheese, but it's like if I try and give it an analogy, all of a sudden it's using like cowboy analogies or astronaut analogies. Like we're going to get rocket ship to the moon. I'm like, all right, you know, tone it down a little bit maybe. Yeah. Like anytime I asked ChatGPT to inject more excitement into something, it just adds emojis and it's usually the rocket ship emoji. (laughs) 
Yeah, I've asked it to add scarcity and urgency and don't do that. I can't do it. it yeah, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, it's not. But again, like it can do so much and I see other people prompt it and I'm like, this is amazing. But I don't know how you did that. It definitely takes some getting used to. And speaking of things that are trending, you had also mentioned incoming technologies that people are working on. What are some other emerging AI trends that you think are going to significantly impact customer experience? I think there'll be more customization based on data sets, which nobody loves, but it's the reality. Your data sets are out and about, so it might as well be used to customize your experience, not necessarily in terms of ads, you know, but just in terms of, all right, you're someone who prefers your interface to look this way. So there may be customizations for things like that. I see a lot of and I can't talk too much about it because I'm in CS Angel. So I see a lot of emerging technologies that I don't know how much I can talk about. But I see a lot that's being used for support. And CS Angel is specifically to invest in upcoming technologies that use AI to increase NRR specifically. So I can tell you there's a lot out there. And it's really freaking cool. A lot of new Salesforce plugins. People are working to be new Salesforce plugins that I'm really looking forward to. I think we're going to see a lot of that, a lot of add-ins for that, for Zoom, for things like that. Awesome. So, and I'm gonna say this, highly esteemed customer success leadership coach. And when I say this, first of all, I have to say, you are a top 50 customer success leader, right? Top 25 now, actually. Top 25. I was gonna ask about that, actually. Is there like, do you get like what number you are? Is it like? No. Okay, because that'd be funny to be like, I'm number 16, but I'm coming for you, Chris. Yeah, I don't like these people <laughs> are my friends. I don't want to be like, so you're three, huh? You know, like, <laughs> it, like, I'm just thrilled to be in there. That's awesome. But as that, you know, what would you say are the most like crucial qualities that make a great customer success leader? Right now, it's different than it might normally be. But the ability to hold two perspectives at one time. You have to be able to hold the perspective of the customer, obviously, and what's important to them. But you also have to be able to hold the perspective of what's important to the business. And you have to make those match up because sometimes they don't always go hand in hand. I think being able to understand how people work, right? Because I think a huge challenge of ours as CS leaders is most of the time, at least in startups, you're working with founders founders, no computers, they think like computers. And when they think about strategy, they don't understand that a human is not going to work like a computer. Like you can't just run a command and have them do what you want as much as that would be convenient. It just doesn't work that way. You have to play into motivations. You have to be working with messaging to get people to actually take action, even if they want the result. Like I liken it to me going to the gym. I've bought many a gym membership. I've gone a couple times. Do I go consistently? No. Do I want a six pack? Yes. But I don't necessarily want to do the things I have to do with the gym to get the six pack. I'll pay the money. But then when it comes down to it, it's like, oh, that's really early and it's dark and it's cold and I like my bed. You know, actual priorities, your priorities aren't always what you'd like them to be or what you think they are as a human. And that is a difficult thing to navigate as a CS leader, because it's not just going to be A plus B. It's going to, you know, A plus B equals C. 
it's going to be A plus B, except if it's raining and except if this, then we have to pivot this way. And this is how this journey is going to go versus how this person's journey is going to go. Like it's never simple. And you need to be able to have those conversations where you're talking to your executive team as though they were a client. You have to understand their desired outcome and explain, this is how we get there. Here's what I have to do on our end. Here's what you have to do on your end. I can't just buy the membership and hope that's going to poof into place. My abs are going to poof into place. I have to show up. They have to show up. It's a joint thing. And here's how it works. Here are the steps. CS isn't just add water, as nice as that would be. So it's being able to say, here's what you want. Here's me motivating you the same way I'm motivating our customers. It's a lot to have to do. And it's really annoying to have to look at your messaging and make sure that everyone buys into what you do. You know, other departments, you can just show up and do your job, I think. People aren't like, but is it really valuable? Do you really provide value? Having to do that, I call it pushing the rock up a hill. You can find a different hill, but there's still going to be a rock at this point in history. So I think all of those things are really necessary. They're the biggest challenges right now. Whereas before I would have just been like, oh, you have to be a great leader. You have to have a lot of empathy. You have to be human first. You need to understand how people work. Now it's all of these things. Much like a CS leader has to be so many things at once. I'd say that's 100% accurate as the CS director here. Definitely. So you had mentioned that there's always another hill. There's always another rock to push up. At. And speaking of that, what are some of the most persistent challenges that CS leaders are facing today in the rapidly evolving tech landscape, especially when it comes to adopting and integrating tools like AI? I think that is the least of their problems, honestly. Most of the time we can't get budget for technology. We would love technology. Please give it to us. But most of the time it's like, sure, we'll give you $5,000. And it's like, great. Like, I guess I can get a souped up Excel. I know that a lot of the CS tools are starting to integrate AI, much like any of it right now. I think it's still a little janky because we haven't worked out all the kinks, but I see the potential and I see where they're going with this and it evolves so quickly that I think we'll be there very quickly. And hopefully when that's the case, again, it's a matter of proving ROI with people who have shiny objects and syndrome and we're kind of we're the long-term growth strategy. We're eating your broccoli. We're not a cookie. That's a hard sell sometimes. It's hard to get people to do the slow thing, you know, be like, yeah, we're going to do this and you're going to see results in a year. And you're currently seeing the results of what you did wrong last year. It's a tough sell. So really, I think that is still the biggest issue that we face. And I'm not sure how technology will fix it. I would love if it did. But the rock and the hill is still getting people to buy into the value proposition of CS, understanding what it is in the first place. Yeah, I think sometimes the pain is the biggest teacher. What you failed on last year suddenly makes you realize what you need to work on this year. It's like, yes, let's get this turned around. Let's get this on the right track. And all of these kinds of revenue that can come from it. But here's what it takes. Here's how we get there. So I think that's a big part of like kind of the showing rather than telling in the CS context, right? Like we try to do that so much with customers, but we need, like you're saying, we have internal customers that we're doing that with. I think that's big. But going back to kind of the 
topic of this podcast, right? Because I could talk uh, battles with you for a while. <laughs> but, I bet you could. I bet you could. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, tell me, how has video like amplified this aspect of like showing rather than telling for customer success? It's funny because I think there's sort of two sides of it, right? I think video is amazing and I've been having people use it since Loom came out and became popularized doing things called like two minute videos instead of having long onboardings, having a series of two minute videos that people could watch that could then be categorized so that they could just watch the little bit they need right then because people now would probably need to be 30 second videos. This was pre TikTok, but I found that to be much more useful than like a 30 page technical document or instruction. Some people really don't like to be on camera which can be a hindrance. That said, there are a couple things. One, there are those like AI humans that you can have the instructional, I've seen technology around that, that freaks me out, that I don't like. No, not even a little bit. But, you know, they have those. What I've seen that can also work fairly well is just people are okay on Zoom. They just feel weird. And I do too. And I have to do it where I just have to like talk to no one if I'm doing a presentation, it's like a webinar, I'm just like talking to a screen. People feel very awkward with that. So if they're trying to do some sort of instructional video, that can, again, be a hindrance. Whereas I think if you can record a call and edit out the other side, like with tools like Descript are really cool, you know, just being able to edit text and have it take out some of the other side of the conversation, not having to be good at video. And it also, I've seen it eliminate so many QBRs, which makes me so happy. So many QBRs are so pointless. Some absolutely have value, but if you're just doing like, here are my slides, here are, you know, the tickets you had, here are, you know, the results you got, you know, you can send that in a dashboard, like a quick executive summary, show up, talk about like, hey, here's how we did, here's what we can do next. What are you struggling with? All right, here's how this can apply. That's much more useful. Here's what I'd be telling you in a meeting is who doesn't love one less meeting? Here's what I'd be telling you in a meeting. And so then when we actually talk, when we actually have our like 20 minute discussion, let's talk about where you're going next and how we can help you. Boom. People are much more willing to get on that call than they are. Let us show you all, you know, enough about me. Let me tell you about me or what do you think about me? So, yeah, I think video has been and will continue to be incredibly impactful. Yeah kind of along the same lines talking about video, but more of like the generative content kind, like the automatically generated kind. So as like AI and automation becomes increasingly intertwined with business processes, how do you see generative content changing the game in the realm of customer success? I think it does in terms of how-to content, but how-to content is not necessarily customer success outside of onboarding, which can be its own thing. I don't know, and I could be very wrong, I don't know that generative video really can look at their issues and listen to the tone of their voice. Because again, you can say, I was an actor. We had things where you had to say the same thing. Hey, how are you? How's it going? Like for weeks, that was all we could do in a scene. And you learned how that, hey, how are you? Could be said a thousand different ways and mean a thousand different things and make someone feel really differently. And because of that, I don't know the generative AI is going to get there all that soon, you know, knock wood. But 
that's where I think, you know, there is definitely a line between what it can do right now and the nuance of human communication. So, and that's where I think CS is really valuable and why we'll still have jobs. But I do think it will become more, we will be used as humans more in the interpersonal, more in the enterprise, the relationship building, the multi-threading, understanding nuances, understanding what questions to ask, more so than like, hey, let's hit every customer or you have to email every customer or have a QBR with every customer. I think we'll become more strategic. Very good. You know, that's kind of last time we were talking about, you know, the whole idea of this, like taking our jobs, right? And I think ultimately it's not going to, it's, you know, you, you talked about the difference between like the how-to videos and the stuff that you need people for, right? Like, I mean, I work in CS for an AI company, right? And it, it's kind of that thing where you're like, okay, you can't AI everything, but you certainly can, you know, follow up with a lot of great how-to videos and have this great, you know, library, but you've talked about what they need. Right. And like, I think it's more of a tool than it is like the answer to everything. Yeah, exactly. It's not a human. It's a tool. It's a really great tool, but it's not a replacement. I started working for a machine learning AI company in 2017. So it was relatively rare then. And I had the lovely job of trying to get people to teach the AI to do their jobs. You can imagine how thrilled they were with that. The people who owned the company did not understand why people were skipping the meetings. And I was like, I wouldn't show up to that meeting. And one of the first things I did was like, look, this is not here to take away your job. I understand why you think that. Don't teach me to do your whole job. Teach me to do the thing you hate. What do you hate the most? Let's automate that. And I think that's really where we can leverage this. Like, what stuff do we not like that's repetitive? That tends to be the repetitive stuff that doesn't require much critical thinking, just like, ugh, I got to do this again. Like, let's take that out of the mix. What more can we do? We don't have to worry about that. That's a really good way to overcome, like, the barriers that people put in place. What other kind of things have you done to, like, overcome those barriers to, like, help people start to adopt technology maybe that they did maybe fear earlier? To me, it's about... Anything like that is very similar to habit formation. And it's very easy to get overwhelmed and you have a very limited amount of bandwidth for motivation, willpower to do any of that. So make it small and tie it to a reward. So like baby steps, like this is something that, and like I like to use fitness for these because people get it, it's relatable. But the best shape I ever got in, my only challenge was to do one crunch a day. And something that I could hit on my worst day with the flu, like that is my, you know, the barrier for success has to be so low, but you have to keep the streak going. You know, that's how you win. You keep, and while you're down there, if you feel like doing more, great. If you don't, you still win with one. I think I did one maybe three times. Like I was always like, well, I'm already down here. But like when I thought about how you get on the floor and all that, you know, things like that, it's that taking away that inertia of like, ugh, this is going to be a lot. Having it be like, you just have to do, you know, you don't have to do anything. Like, this is so small, it's kind of stupid not to do it, you know? So just do that and like, oh, look, now that saved you five minutes. That's nice. You can save another five minutes if you want to, but that's really all you have to do. So always making it really bite-sized, tying a little dopamine hit to it however you can. That's why we're all addicted to our phones because they found out how to do that really well. 
to me, that's always been the key to adoption of anything that is going to seem overwhelming, which is most technologies. That's awesome. So to give you a little bit of context, audience, right? I am a CS director and still fairly new, honestly, as a CS director. And so Rachel's stuff is like, she's like literally works with people like me. You're my ICP. Yeah, exactly. So like, she's very good at what she does because most of the stuff I'm just like, yep, that's very true. Yeah. And I, for one, have weirdly learned really good advice about working out. (laughs) (laughs) From a very unlikely source. I'm, but I'm not like a bodybuilder, but like it definitely, if you read Atomic Habits, you'll see very similar things. I didn't get it from that book. I got it from a book called Tiny Habits, I think. Very similar. But yeah, I mean, it works for anything. It works for getting me to drink more water. I have to drink a half a cup a day, you know, tiny, tiny things. Yeah, like almost like the minimum viable product in a way. Exactly. Yeah. So moving on to like future proofing CS strategies with AI and video, how do you think CS leaders can future proof their strategies with video and AI at the forefront? I would say like, you know, five years ago, right? Like you talked about two minutes versus 30 seconds of video, right? You talked about a 30 page technical documentation, right? Like how can you future proof it to where the stuff that you create now is going to be, I don't know that you can, because we don't know what's going to happen. What I think I have kind of a different strategy for that which is I think your biggest barrier there is resistance and fear. And trust me, I have so much fear over AI. I just choose to focus on the part that I can leverage because just sitting here being terrified that something is going to take my likeness and my voice and say horrible things and like ruin my life is not really helpful. It doesn't get anything done and there's nothing I can do about it. So I choose to have a growth mindset, which is very much a choice. I naturally am a major pessimist. I don't know if it's being a New Yorker. I don't know what. But I've had to work to have a growth mindset and to be an optimist. And instead of being like, well, what can I do to make sure that I never lose my job to AI and like make sure that nothing is coming to get me? Instead of that saying, oh, I see this is changing here. What I did before is not going to be exactly the same. How could this go right? How can I use this as an opportunity? What would this look like if this was the next step in my career? Like, what do I have to overcome to get there? And then how do I work towards that? It's much better to work towards something than run away from it. Awesome. So looking back at kind of your journey, you've been a part of this for about 15 years, which for those who don't know customer success, that's a long time that it started. Yes, it is. And I was doing it before that's what it was called. When I started, you know, they called me a VP of operations, even though I was customer, you know, I was running teams that were customer facing. That was like a hybrid production sales operated, like who knows? It was CS, but just nobody knew what to call it. Okay. So with all that wisdom, what advice would you share with other CS leaders about kind of that rapidly evolving landscape that we're all in right now? Still keeping that mindset of like, how could this help me instead of how could this hurt me? Because these things are meant to be leveraged. They're not meant to replace all of humanity. Literally no one benefits from that. And to keep learning and talk to other CS leaders, talk to your peers, find out what's working, find out what's not, because it's an incredibly isolating job. It is the most gaslighty profession I have ever seen. 
And it's really helpful to hear like, nope, that's not just you. That's more of a systemic problem. Here's what's working for me in the real world, in real life. Here's how I'm using these tools. Here's how we've, you know, leveraged that. Like I have a Slack channel for my community that, you know, they share things like this all the time. So talk to each other. And I think it's okay to be a little vulnerable, be like, you know, this is scary. You're not going to find anyone who's like, no, it's not. What are you talking about? open up those conversations, you can get so much from each other. Mm, it's powerful. Yeah, the power of community. All right, so wrapping up, what excites you the most about AI right now? <laughs> it's funny because I haven't gotten it to do this yet, but the idea of it writing marketing materials for me, which I haven't been able to get it to do, but I'm so interested in marketing, but it's so different than the way I write. So the idea of it doing that and doing any sort of data analysis, like I have a weird form of dyslexia. So like anything with data, I can't picture anything in my head. So anything where it can take care of that kind of thing for me and just tell me what the deal is, I'm so happy. I don't have to hire someone to do it. You know, that's what really excites me. So I can focus on the humans and the stuff that I really care about. And where can our listeners find it? You can find me, of course, on LinkedIn. I'm on there all the time. Rachel Haynes Provan. And just look up Rachel Provan, I'll be there. And also at Provan Success, like my last name, Provan, P-R-O-V-A-N, success.com. There I have a blog with all sorts of useful tips for CS leaders, useful strategies, really actionable stuff you can use right now. And there's also stuff on there about my one-on-one coaching or my group coaching or my career coaching for job seekers. Awesome. Well, I just pushed the follow button and encourage all the listeners to do the same. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks again. Video Voyager's Edge of AI is powered by V8, the number one trailblazer in the world of video AI and automation. With V8, it's fast and easy to create, update, and globalize your video library with every new software release. Learn more on our website at video.io. Keep up to date with technology's role in shaping the future of customer experience. Search for Video Voyagers on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to stuff. And don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review if you like us, but not if you don't, and stay tuned for more. See you next time.